This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey guys, how are you doing out there in the world of Remnant Radio? My name is Michael Roundtree. Josh Lewis is out of town on vacation this week, but we're going to talk about how to grow in the gift of healing. You guys stay tuned. It's going to be an exciting episode. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a crowd-funded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. Okay, welcome back, folks. Super excited to talk about this subject with Michael Miller over there in the basement. And uh, before we dive in, just a couple of things you guys should know about Remnant Radio. First of all, we really benefit from those likes and comments. So if you guys are already in the chat, if you could go ahead and hit uh, hit like, play, play around in the comments. We'll see if we can respond to some of your questions as we talk about healing. Conversation is going to be just kind of, uh, we're just going to be kind of flowing back and forth, talking from scripture and experience about how you grow in this gift. Uh, also about Remnant Radio, we are a crowdfunded ministry. And if you have benefited from our, uh, from our ministry, we'd love for you to consider uh, donating. So if you click on the link in the description, we have a link for Patreon where you can make ongoing as little as $5 a month donations to Remnant Radio, uh, or you can make a one-time donation by clicking on the link for Patreon. Last of all, uh, September 14th and 15th, uh, Friday and Saturday, we're going to have a, uh, a conference at, uh, at my church, actually, Bridgeway Church in Oklahoma City. It is almost full already. We've kind of taken about uh, two months off of advertising it, just as we've been advertising the, the e-course, but it's still almost full. Uh, you guys are definitely going to want to check that out. We're talking uh, all things prophecy and hearing God. Uh, we have main sessions. We have workshops. We have demonstration. Uh, we have some special sessions for for pastors and how you get this kind of thing going in your church. Check out remnant uh, remnantconferencesplural.com. Uh, go check that out. You can find out. We, we have a whole host of workshops you want to check out. We have some uh, some guests who will be speaking in those as well as we'll be speaking in them too. Uh, so it's going to be really exciting. Miller, I'm excited about this conference. How about you, how about you over there in the basement? Uh, I'm good, man. I'm heading out to go camping tonight. But uh, as far as the conference goes, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I, I get more excited about healing and deliverance stuff. So in you know next spring when we do another conference and get to have that as the topic again i'll be even more excited but i mean i'm always excited to hang out with you guys and get to pray for the sick and so it should be fun uh god willing we'll see some really cool stuff happen too who knows well, that, that's kind of interesting to me that you like healing and deliverance more than uh more than the prophetic <laughs> so like you you would rather just like not hear god speak is kind of what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's you're, exactly what I'm saying, Michael. You understand my heart so well. You're kind of like I, I got this, God. I, I don't really need to hear from you. I just, I just go heal the sick. <laughs> it's it's kind of you know, it, it's it's more flamboyant and flashy, and that's that's kind of you. That's right. Anything that's you know, glitz and glam, that's me. That's right. Actually, to speak into that, so we're talking about healing <laughs> ministry, and it has a little bit of a reputation for coming with oh, glitz totally and true. glam and come onto the stage, and I'm going to hit you with my jacket, or I'm going to push you to the ground, and we're going to go ahead and call that the power of God, and uh, and hey, if the person's passed it on the stage, everybody's going to just assume they were healed of whatever it was, and uh, and so we're kind of used to this sort of exhibitionism in healing ministry. And Miller, I know that that was like a big inhibition for you and and even like treading in those waters because that's that's kind of how you thought it was and it's why you sought out a word and spirit church. So do you want to kind of share just a little bit of that journey for you? Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, no, I <laughs> I remember really, really early on as a kid, and this is like before I was a believer, watching the old Robert Tilton uh, farting videos. And that's just what I thought of charismatic. Are you kidding like, me? <laughs> no, I'm not kidding, dude. That's I remember like my mom got a just had that on repeat. thing of that, and I used to laugh with my siblings. <laughs> just I mean, you can look it up on YouTube. I mean, today, they I'm were sure. pretty funny. Oh, dude, yeah, it was hysterical. But so, uh, so you're I telling remember, me that that was actually your biggest inhibition to to healing ministry <laughs> was that video. <laughs> I mean, it did to me characterize what I thought of healing ministry. So now, now fast forward, you know, I've become a Christian and even had an experience with the spirit and I know that his powers for today, but, but like in, in the back of my head, all I can think of is if you believe this stuff, then it's spinny hen. It's all about pushing people down, taking uh, big offerings uh, and the Robert Tilton charlatans out there. And so I just didn't want to, I didn't want that. And actually, you know, what really um, won me over was a woman named Dolores Winder. I read, I had read her book that said it was called Jesus Set Me Free. And I mean, I wasn't won over because I read the book. I was won over because I actually got to meet her. I went and saw a meeting and uh, happened to walk into the church at the exact same time she was walking in with her husband. And it was a small church, uh, and she introduced herself immediately to me, just took me by the arm and walked me into the very front of the church and had me sit down right next to she and her husband. And I just thought, who is this? Like, what? why is she taking such a, a liking to me? And everything was so not hyped, honestly. And I know she was healed in a Catherine Coleman meeting. She was going to die. I mean, it was a really bad situation. And I think when she got healed, it was in like the Fort Worth uh, Star Telegram, the Dallas Morning News. I mean, this was back when the news actually used to share good news. Uh, but her disposition and the way that she prayed for the sick, like everything was rather normal and dialed down. And it didn't get weird until the end when she actually started calling out words of knowledge. But I mean, I saw her. She would pull people aside and she would spend time with them and pray for them. And I just sat there watching all of this happen. And then she and her husband took me out to dinner. And paid for my meal. And I just thought, okay, nobody this, like, she's clearly not in this to fool people over. And I had nothing. I was just graduated college. I had no, you know, big income. I was working for Young Life. And so for her to give me so much attention and care and just be such a kind and warm person and yet move in just insane power. I mean, that, that blew me away. Yeah. And so that kind of uh, won me over, I'd say to healing ministry in general. Yeah. So, you know, for my, my part, I appreciate it when, if there, if there is a cessationist, of course, I want them all to be continuationists who believe in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit for today. But if there is a cessationist, uh, I much prefer the ones who don't put the caricatures out there as though everyone is like Robert Tilton. Uh, you, you know, like I, like a handful are showy, a handful are exhibitionists. Yeah. I mean, it's out there for sure, but most people aren't like the TV people. Uh, there are a lot of just like really good people who love people. And, um, and so sometimes just having that kind of experience really helps. Um, I want to pull up this question by Jeff Garner because it'll kind of help us as we're getting started here. Uh, so he asked this just a little bit ago in the chat. He says, which gift of healing are you talking about? Uh, scripture calls it gifts, plural. We talked about this a lot on the show. Thanks for that question, Jeff. Uh, and it is true that it's called gifts of healings. And Miller, I do tend to land in the camp of, I I tend to think that, that God gifts individuals like I, you know, as we've said before with you, that for you, it's flat feet. For me, it's sleeping issues. For Max Lucado, it was infertility. That that gifts of healings seems to indicate that he could have just said gift of healing, but he didn't. Why? And we have to ask ourselves why. And I think the best explanation is that there probably are people with like gifts in a certain area. Uh, but to frame the discussion today, we're gonna just we're gonna talk about it generally. Uh, we could have maybe titled the episode just like "How do you grow in healing ministry?" Uh, so I don't want us to get like hung up on that. Do you have uh, any thoughts on that, Michael? Are you in, a, in agreement with me on that? Well, I totally am. I think the tough thing is when when you put the question out there, "How do you grow in something that's a gift uh, in and of itself?" Uh, especially when knowing that the gifts of healings are likely different for each person, uh, then you kind of go, how is it that you can grow in something that's given? 
And so hopefully, I think in this broadcast, we'll actually kind of answer some of that question. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. But we, we very much believe that we can grow in the gifts. And that's why the Apostle Paul tells Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. Uh, so there, there's something that we can proactively do to turn a spark into a fire, into a bonfire. Uh, and right. so there, there's something we can do to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. It's, it's not just like sit there and, and think about it. There's actually a pursuit that Paul is assuming when he uses that word desire. Uh, and of course, in 1 Corinthians 14, he says to pray for interpretation if you don't already have it, which means it's okay to pray for a gift. So 1 Corinthians 12, 11, God is, uh, the Holy Spirit is sovereign in giving gifts. He gives gifts as he determines. And yet within that determination and will and sovereignty, he invites us into a conversation, if you will, where we can actually go before him and ask him to give us gifts and we can pursue them, which really leads us to the first point when it comes to healing. And these are Miller's show notes. So Miller, I think you'll probably drive a little more on this conversation than I will. Yeah, sure. Um, but uh, once you just start talking about that first point, pray for more people, seems like so maybe obvious, but why is that not necessarily obvious? Well, so I guess a couple of reasons. Um, you know, James says you, you have not because you ask not. He says that in James, I believe it's four. Um, but then also you've got instances like Jesus being in Nazareth where it says he could do no mighty miracles except heal a few sick people. But when you look at the reasons for why he couldn't do those things, it says they're unbelief. And one of the main things that happened is they wouldn't come to him to receive prayer. They just thought of him as the carpenter's son, and they they like go, hey, we know his brothers and his sister. I mean, they're they're here living among us, so they didn't see anything special about Jesus. Uh, nothing that would cause them to actually ask him to do something. And I would say, uh, in many cases today, that's also true. Like people just don't even think to ask. They just assume, well, if you got a problem, you go straight to the doctor rather than going to our Savior first. Um, but the other thing is, I mean. Uh, one of the things John Wimber used to say, and I, I've always found this helpful, was he would say, don't just assume that you don't have a gift to heal. Um, pray If you pray for one or two people, that, that could discourage you, but maybe you're, you're setting your expectations a little bit um, too high. Instead, pray for 100 people. And if nobody gets healed after you pray for 100 people, okay, cool. Maybe God didn't give you one of those gifts of healings. Um, but if you increase your number, you're probably going to see more happen. But what you're also doing in the same token is you're increasing the amount of prayer. You're yeah. increasing the amount of time you're approaching God. You're increasing the amount of time you're loving a person right in front of you who, quite frankly, nobody probably ever prayed for. So there's a number of reasons why you should increase the number of people that you pray for. Um, and I know I'm, I, I haven't even used the scriptures we've got on the notes, Michael. Maybe you can jump in on that part. Sure. Okay, sure. So uh, Matthew 11, Jesus entered Peter's house. He saw his mother-in-law lying down sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. Then, he, uh, then she got up and began to serve them. When it was evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to him. He drove out spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. In this way, what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah was fulfilled. He took our weaknesses and carried our diseases. I tell you what, on that last part where it says he took our weaknesses and carried our diseases, um, it speaks of... I mean, our theological term for this would be it's speaking proleptically. Uh, so kind of like in advance of Jesus, like he actually bore our sins as well as I believe our diseases on the cross, that healing is in the atonement. That is my belief. And, uh, and so now healing, I do believe, is in the atonement. But we also have this theology of like the already, not yet. So uh, that doesn't mean that 100% of the people are healed in this life in response to faith. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ will ultimately be healed either now or at the end of the age because Jesus purchased all of that. But my point being that like this healing ministry is, I mean... It was part of why Jesus died on the cross. It was a massive part of Jesus's earthly life. So when I'm praying for the sick, this is a huge motivator for me. And Miller, it's a huge motivator for me to keep praying for people, even if I maybe I'm going on a string of like 
15 people in a row that didn't get healed. Like it keeps me coming back because I believe Jesus demonstrates the heart of the father. And, and what is the heart of the father? Apparently, according to his earthly life, it's healing. Jesus is the word of God, the exact expression of the father's heart. John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And then he comes on the scene and he heal, 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 heal. In this case, it doesn't do this in every case, but in this case, he healed them all. So we see this like overwhelming heart to heal people. Like that's the father's heart is expressed through Jesus. That just motivates me to keep praying, keep praying and keep praying. And I'll tell you, the more people I pray for, the more I see healing. And before I believed that God did these kind of things, when I was a cessationist, I pretty much never prayed for people to be healed. I, I prayed God guide the doctor's hands. And there would be like a rare occasion that I would pray for healing. And let's be real here and, and honest, like cessationists are willing to pray for healing. They Most of them will. Um, but let's also be honest. Most of them don't come. It, I'll, just, I'll, I'll just put it on me. I didn't come with very much faith when I was a cessationist. I kind of expected the person to just like get sicker and die. Uh, I mean, I'm just saying, I didn't have a lot of faith for it because I just thought <laughs> miracles were for back then. You're laughing at me though, <laughs> so Miller. Dismal. Maybe that was a little harsh, but that's I'm just telling you, that's where I was at. Yeah. Uh, I mean, here's the practical thing that you see in this. Peter, uh, Jesus is over at Peter's house when this takes place. Uh, Peter's mom is sick. Now, how many of us, so, so this is an important thing. Jesus saw healing because he was with a sick person. <laughs> okay, so that's a practical, just sort of a, a word of obvious here. If you want to see sick people healed, you need to be around sick people. Um, but one of the, when I, when I say this, I mean practically speaking, like when somebody that you know is sick, don't just say, oh, I'll pray for you. Say, hey, let me go to your house. Let me come and pray with you in person. Um, and this, this has been sort of the norm for me. When I find out somebody is in the hospital, whether it's somebody at my church or somebody they know, then I said, hey, you know, can we send a team to go and pray for that person? Uh, I, I can't promise what will happen, but God oftentimes does amazing things because of prayer. And so uh, that, that is, I think, a major component here. You, you have to get around people who are sick. And you don't have to always lay hands and you know, be in person. You can pray over the phone. I've seen a number of people get healed over the phone, but uh, I, I would say pray with them. Don't just yeah. pray on your own, although that is also good. Uh, pray with them. Be yeah. around those who are sick and hurting. I mean, you think of Jesus when he healed the leper, he placed his hand on the man with leprosy. Um, Habakkuk says this of the Messiah, that in his hands will be rays of light and there his power is hidden. And so there's something to this. I mean, you also notice when Jesus raised the dead, I mean, uh, or Elijah or uh, Peter, um, they would lay down on top of the person uh, and it, it almost like chest to chest, breath of life, breath of life. Um, these, these kind of ways of doing these things were quite normal. And so there is something to being with the people that we're praying for that, that Jesus demonstrated and that we should follow. Yeah. Miller, do you ever, do you ever do that whenever people come forward for healing? Are you ever just like lay down? <laughs> I'm gonna lay down. <laughs> That's just awkward, I guess. Uh, I, dang, I, I didn't really think about how awkward we, that suddenly got. But sometimes I just say things. Anyway, we're gonna move on. <laughs> um, uh, I, I want to actually uh, echo though what you were just saying that uh, there about being with them. Um, I'm thinking about a story in my last church. I mean, when when COVID. When it was like pretty much first coming out, and a lot of people were really scared, uh, I one of my congregants at the time had COVID, and it, it was like a pretty a pretty bad situation. And I uh, I went uh, to where he was. Uh, I mean, I did this with a couple of people, but this one in particular I'm thinking of. Uh, I went over to where he was, and they had all these kind of like you know, machines to kind of move the air around and that kind of deal. And he's super masked up and, uh, it, it was, he was in bad shape, but they were overwhelmed that I went and prayed for him. But Miller, you mentioned that story about Jesus laying his hand on the leper. And that's, would do that's that. like what I had in mind was just like, right. you know, Jesus had every reason to be terrified of touching a leper. 
but instead of the leprosy jumping on him, the healing power jumped on the leper. And so I just, I just went in and I, and I prayed for him and he did immediately get better. And, uh, and it was, it was a miraculous recovery. They were first overwhelmed that I, that I came, but then overwhelmed that God moved in that way. But that's just such a huge part. And I think a, a big thing, like with the laying on of hands, the scripture never just like says precisely, why did they lay on hands? Uh, but you just kind of infer there's a power in human touch that there's that there's love and i think we felt that all the more in uh in covid when you weren't allowed to like touch people you know you oh, yeah. like when when there were so many restrictions and six feet of space and all of that kind of deal and it it was just it, it was a trying time for a lot of people because we're we're made for that kind of interaction and and jesus does like matthew chapter 8 he will send his word and heal psalm 107:20 you sent your word and healed them you delivered them from death so like that is a thing god can do it but there's something powerful to human touch and of course you have to be respectful and we teach our healing uh, teams or our ministry teams when they're praying for healing to ask permission to put your hand say on a shoulder or something like that and uh, and if it's like, say, a woman's belly or something like that, I'll never touch their belly. I might, ha- if their husband's with them, I might have their husband. You know, you know. So there, there are just obvious things like that. But uh, and sometimes I'll just touch their shoulder, even if it is their belly. Uh, and the point is, though, there is a power in human touch, and I think you see more healings when you're up close and personal with people who need it. Yeah, so one more scripture I would add to this is what is said in Luke chapter 4, verses 40 through 44. It says, As the sun was setting, all those who had relatives sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus. So this is a major reason why people came to Jesus. That's, a, that's important. And he didn't have a problem with that. that. That seemed to be a good thing. He placed his hands on every one of them and healed them. Demons also came out of many, crying out, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them. It would, would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. The next morning, Jesus departed and went to, went to a deserted place. Yet the crowds were seeking him, and they came to him, and they tried to keep him from leaving them. And this is, this is the main point right here. But Jesus said to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns too, for that is what I was sent to do. So he continued to preach in the synagogues of Judea. So what I love about this passage is when, when I say go pray for more people, that's what he quite literally did. He would preach the gospel and he would pray for the sick and praying for the sick was a fulfillment of the gospel, the very gospel of the kingdom, the good news that God's reign and rule had come. And so he was trying to, I mean, in some sense, preach this message and pray for as many as he could. And I think the same should be true for us. We should be preaching this message and laying hands on the sick and praying for the sick as many as we possibly can. Yeah, that's hundred percent Miller. And I, I think a lot of people miss that. It'll say it in Matthew four. It'll say it again in Matthew nine. It'll say it again when Jesus sends the disciples out in Matthew 10. Uh, and of course many other references, but it'll pair together the proclaiming and the demonstrating like Jesus went about proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing the sick and casting out demons. So there's a teaching and then a doing You see it all through, especially the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then when you get into the book of Acts, you see that Jesus, before he was taken up, so it'll reference the ascension, Acts 1.1, and it will refer to the things in in Luke's first volume, in the book of Luke, that that Jesus began to do and teach. Okay, so... uh, so Jesus began to do and teach. He began to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel of the kingdom through his earthly life, but now he continues through the church. From his, So it's like if the book of Luke was Jesus's earthly ministry, the book of Acts is Jesus's heavenly ministry. He is the ascended Christ ministering through his spirit-empowered church. That's Acts 1, 8. And so, uh, which, by the way, is a great argument for continuationism. Jesus did not stop doing the stuff because Jesus ascended and he continues to act through his church. That's actually the central message of the book of Acts. Jesus is the reigning king who continues to minister through his spirit-empowered church, just like he did in his earthly ministry. But um, anyway, uh, gosh, Miller, now I kind of... I, I just started preaching. I kind of oh, lost. Fun. Where was I going no, no, with that? No, it's good. 
Um, well, the, I, I remember now. I was say, it was the gospel of the kingdom connection that you were making. Uh, oh, gotcha. That I think Jesus was a show and tell preacher, and I think most of us we're just tell, <laughs> like we tell, but we don't show. Jesus did show and tell. The apostles did show and tell. It was what he began to do and teach. It was he proclaimed and demonstrated, and that uh, and that act of power mixed with speech testimony that plays out all throughout the book of Acts. In fact, that the thesis verse in Acts, Acts 1.8, uh, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses. And so you see it over and over and over again. Say Acts chapter 3, paralyzed guy gets healed. Peter testimi- testifies. So it's a demonstration. And then it is a proclamation that follows. That's the, actually the order that God intends for the church. And so that man, that's that's huge. And I know that was a little further down in your show notes, Miller. But this, like, oh, understanding it as the gospel of the kingdom, like the good news of God's reign. He reigns over sickness. He reigns over demons. Matthew twelve twenty eight. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Like that. Like God exhibits His reign over your body by expelling demons through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that reign, that's just what the kingdom of God is. That is a huge undergirding for healing ministry. Miller, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Just the understanding of the kingdom when it comes to moving and healing ministry. Uh, Sure. So I think of uh, Matthew 12, where Jesus heals a blind mute boy, and he does this by casting a demon out of the boy. And there's this argument that ensues with him and the Pharisees. But, but at the end of it, he says, look, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And I think that's a, a significant change uh, in his phrasing when he talks about the kingdom. Previously, he would tell parables on the kingdom. Previously, he would preach the message, you know, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of God is at hand. And so it's this, it's this idea that it's right here. Like, you know, in Jesus's incarnation, the king has come. Um, and this king is now at age 30 beginning his ministry. He's been empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's beginning to rule and reign. So these, this word kingdom is not just talking about a, um, a place that you go to. Like mm-hmm. when you think of the parable, I think it's in Luke 19 where he says, you know, a man went to a distant place to receive a kingdom. Well, this is the Lord coming to earth to receive his kingdom. Um, and, and he's, or sorry, this is the Lord going away to receive his kingdom and coming back to the very place he intends to rule. And so this is not talking about some place that we're going to heaven. It's talking about the here and now. This place is where God is going to rule. And one of the ways that he expresses his rule and his reign over mankind is by casting out demons and therefore healing a blind and mute boy. So I, I used to think when I was in my young life days that preaching the gospel just meant talking about Jesus's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Um, now, I, I think that that is absolutely the crux of the gospel, but the gospel is good news, not just for the one day that we get to go to heaven. The gospel is good news for today, that God's rule and his reign starts here and now. And, and it sounds like, I mean, if, if what we're talking about is a king that actually, he's not just this autocratic dictator that's afar and away, he's the king that came near. He's the incarnational one, right? Like he, he came here to rule and he's also not only is he near and does he care and, and, he, and uh, powerful, but he also cares and he loves and he's actually with these people. And so when he sees a blind mute boy, it's important for him to express his rule and reign over what the devil has done, how, yeah. how the devil has afflicted mankind. Um, go, go ahead, Michael. Oh, absolutely. Which is another great argument for continuationism because the kingdom is still here. Jesus didn't just like announce that the kingdom visited for three years during his ministry and then it went away. No, the kingdom is still here. God still reigns. Does he still reign over sickness or did he stop reigning over it? So the whole, like that's the whole point of the book of Acts. Jesus, God in Christ is exhibiting his reign over sickness, over demons, over lostness, over all of these things. And, uh, and the ascension is a huge part of that. Miller, I want to come back to um, the the praying for more people because so that's like 
Yes, we got to pray for more people. Strongly encourage you guys. Just pray for the set. You see somebody out in public, uh, maybe he's on crutches or whatever. Keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. You pray for 100 people, you're probably going to see some healings, and that might give you enough faith to keep on praying for them. And uh, the, I'll just say this. The people I know who have seen a lot of healings have prayed for a lot of people. And usually when we start out in it, we see hardly any. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why that true. is. Maybe the Lord is just like testing our resolve, but I've just found that to be the case. Like it just tends to be. Well, and I think. Yeah, go ahead. Well, let me, let me, yeah, I want to address this because I think for many of us, when we start praying for the sick, we're, we're trying to prove something to ourselves. Something the scriptures obviously clearly teach. And most of us would say like, hey, I believe the Bible. I believe that Jesus heals today. I believe in the healing ministry of Christ, but I don't see much. And I would just say, well, it's really not about us. Like it's about God, his glory, expressing his love and compassion for the world around us. And so um, I, I think the the testing part of that at the beginning when we start praying for the sick is, is God's way of saying, hey, wh- why are you in this? Um, and one of the other things that I would say is people are more apt to let you pray for them when they actually feel that you care about them. Hmm. And that is something that can be uh, sniffed out really quickly. People can tell when you're not being authentic. If you're just trying to see a healing, you're already in the wrong place. It's about loving people with the power of God. And so one of the things when I think of the reign and rule of God, think about who Jesus went to. Uh, Michael, who did Jesus spend the majority of his time with? Who did he pray for most often? Yeah, I mean, uh, he went to preach the gospel to the poor. And that's who he spent most of his time with. Uh, Luke will emphasize this multiple times, say like Luke 14. I want to say around... 13 and 21, the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. And he goes so far as to say, invite these people to your feasts, uh, which Miller, I, I can't remember if it was on the show or just before the show that we were talking about the the wedding supper of the lamb. I think it was just before, but, but that's yeah. like a, a foretaste of the wedding supper of the lamb that he's talking about in Luke, uh, in Luke 14. He's like, invite these people to your feasts. Uh, they're going to be with us at the at the great wedding supper at the end of the age. And so that's who Jesus spent his time with. That's who he spent his time praying. Uh, he spent his time praying for those kinds of people. And uh, so, Miller, let me ask you this. Do you think that when we're around the kinds of people Jesus was around, deeply hurting people, broken people, poor, crippled, blind, lame, does that have any effect on the effectiveness of our healing ministry or just the number of healings that we'll see? Like if you pray for the poor, you're going to see more than if you pray for the rich. Like, what do you think? Well, I mean, one thing I would say is that the poor are often are more often than the rich sick and in need of healing and health. So the opportunity is certainly going to be there far more. So the poor are also not as self-sufficient so when you think of Jesus going to Nazareth, they, they wouldn't come to him to be healed. And I would say the rich also, they don't feel like they need God. Um, but the poor don't have those kind of hindrances. They don't have their sense of self-sufficiency and any kind of pride attached to their ability to provide for themselves. It is actually the poor and oppressed that Jesus spent the vast majority of his time with. I mean, you think about it. Who did he spend time with? It wasn't the Pharisees. It was the people in all the small villages, all of these Jews who had been overly taxed and didn't have enough money to pay Caesar. They were, they were uh, I mean, you'd see him, it would say these things, they were like like sheep without a shepherd and just sort of wandering around blind. I think of Psalm 82, um, you know, when he talks about they, they wander around in darkness. The whole earth is covered in darkness. They don't even know where they're going. The, the righteous uh, suffer. And, and the wicked prosper. And, and this is who Jesus came to. Um, uh, Matthew uh, 11, this is a good little passage here. Uh, this is verse 2 through 6. And this is when, when John had heard about the Messiah. John is now in prison. And he's, he's probably coming to his own little crossroads of, of crisis and faith. It says, now when John heard in prison about the deeds Christ had done, he sent his disciples and, and to ask a question. Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go tell John what you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news proclaimed to them. 
blessed is anyone who doesn't take offense at me, which is interesting here because you know what he doesn't say? The prisoners are set free <laughs> in this passage. I mean, and it's clearly what John is dealing with. He's in prison thinking, hey, you're supposed to set the captives free. And Jesus, sure enough, he did go around setting the captives free, but it wasn't necessarily sparing them from persecution, imprisonment, that kind of imprisonment. It was setting people free from the enemy and his reign. Hey, baby. Mm-hmm. Sorry, my daughter just walked in. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think this what this kind of relates to, though, is uh, something I hear you talk a lot about, Miller, is compassion and the relationship of compassion to healing ministry. And one of the things I've noticed about you, Miller, when you pray for people is like you deeply enter into their pain. I feel like I see you tear up, I don't know, like a pretty significant percentage Michael, of the time. I, don't, I, don't I mean, think, you I pretty much cry all the time, about. Miller. I mean, I understand. <laughs> I'd, I'd be sad if I was you too. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> too harsh? Too harsh? No. <laughs> it's like I literally, I literally was complimenting you, and then I just I couldn't let it keep going. I just had to turn it into an insult. <laughs> But no, but seriously, I will continue complimenting you because you, you do, you enter into their pain in a way that I think Jesus did. And I think that's one reason why you see uh, a lot of healings, Miller, is because of that. Because how many times do we read that Jesus felt compassion and then healed them? He felt compassion and then healed them like over and over and over again. For Jesus, it wasn't about a stage ministry and you know, a big show. It wasn't about growing a crowd. He didn't care about, you know, John too. He didn't entrust himself to the people. Um, so he didn't care about the things that people tend to care about. He cared about people. That's what he cared about. And when he saw them broken and harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, it, it, it just moved his heart. And I know like, so just speaking as a pastor for a moment, like, Sometimes I'm just like, man, my job would be so much easier if I just wrote sermons. I mean, sermon writing is hard, but it'd be so much easier just just write sermons. But like, if I did that, I'd be on this sort of ivory tower without being in touch with the people. And it really um, humbles me and keeps me in, in check and in the, I think helps my heart stay in the right place by being with people as a shepherd should be. Uh, one, one of the things we talk about on our staff sometimes is to smell sheepy because shepherds need to smell <laughs> like sheep. <laughs> but um, anyway, point being just just being with people, hurting people, broken people, I think that really helps you develop a heart of compassion, which in most is generally like people who have compassion for hurting people are going to see more healings. I, I just think that's true. I think that's the, the evidence of the narratives of especially the, the gospels. Uh, but Miller, uh, talk to, talk to me about the role of compassion as you see it and maybe even how we grow in compassion. Yeah, I actually, I mean, my, you pay me a compliment, Michael, but you also remember me when I was 22 years old working for young life. I just left and, uh, and I had this mentality of like, well, I want to hang out with the popular kids when we do youth ministry. And you and Jack, you're both just like, what do you mean you want to hang out with the popular kids? Like, why is that? And well, that's because that's what I've been taught that, you know, in Young Life, you're supposed to go after the influencer because they'll bring everybody else to the Lord. And, um, and you know, I mean, if I was really honest, that's an incredibly easy and comfortable thing to do. Hang around kids that are a little bit more socially inept more popular kids typically are tend to be more socially acceptable and easy to hang out with um and i i look at it now with such deep regret um because i realize like that's not at all the way that the lord would do ministry today like he would spend time with broken people and so one of the things i think about is now okay i'm all for praying for the sick i also recognize that not everybody i pray for gets healed and so the real question is, is did you love them just so they could get healed? Or are you going to love them even when they're not healed? Mm-hmm. Um, like I have a lady in my church. She's had just massive amounts of uh, health issues. And yes, I pray for her to be healed. I mean, every time she asks me, I tell her, yes, I will pray for you. I, I always have that as a default answer. I also want to call and just check in. And I also want to make sure that she's provided with meals because guess what? She didn't get healed. She had to have surgery. And so I think developing a love and compassion for the broken and hurting of, of the world, it is going to 
grow you in healing. It's also going to grow you in love and compassion just by spending time with them, hearing their stories. And so uh, a, a common prayer of mine that I encourage people to have just in general is, Lord, give me your heart for people. Let me feel the way you feel about the hurt and the broken of this world. And quite frankly, if, if, you, if your friendships consist only of those that you feel naturally connected with, that is not the ministry of the Lord. Chemistry is great when you have it. However, spend time with those who need friends. Mm-hmm. Like anybody at my church who needs a friend, that's my friend. Like I'm not, yeah. I'm not unaccessible to the people that need a relationship. And if anything, I prioritize my community because I'm. That's my job as a pastor. Um, but I just, I, I, I regret so much of my younger life thinking that I just wanted to hang out with those who are more socially acceptable and easy to hang out with. Uh, I, I imagine I could have been growing in compassion and seeing more healing and those kind of things if I had had. Well, really, you know, the Lord's perspective on who is important to the Lord. Um, who does he want to spend his time with? So, yeah. and I, I think it's a great question for everybody to ask themselves now. Like, who around you has the Lord called you to spend time with? Um, who has a need? Who just needs a friend? Yeah. Sorry. That, I'm on, that's I'm good. Preaching and now. <laughs> I think it's a good, uh, a good example, though, of like, we tend to, we, we put healing and prophecy in these like special categories of, of gifts. And of course, you know, cessationists love to do that by assigning them the role of sign gifts, which is a made up assignment. And I don't agree with it. Um, but, but the thing is they're, they're actually, yes, they can be signs. They can be called signs and wonders, but like when you're actually moving in and you're seeing healing and you're pursuing healing or prophecy for that matter, it's actually ministry. It's actually love. It's, uh, you know, I was just this week with my Uber driver and I, I needed an Uber driver for whatever reason. And, um, I was just listening to the Lord for him. And I, I felt like the Lord told me, I felt like the Lord told me he had gout, but I wasn't quite bold enough to say gout. I just said foot issues, like <laughs> foot pain. And, uh, and so I, I just asked him, I said, Hey man, I felt, I kind of explain how God speaks to me sometimes and, uh, and shared that with him. Like, I felt like the Lord showed me you had some, uh, some foot pain that you're really dealing with. And he said, yeah, actually I was in the doctor last week for severe gout. And so, uh, I was able to pray for him, but that wasn't about like Michael getting a right word. It wasn't about like, it, it, it wasn't about a show. It, it was about just like, I got to minister compassion to somebody. So that's why we routinely define these gifts as empowered love. The famous love chapter, first Corinthians 13 comes right in between chapters 12 and 14. And, uh, the spiritual gifts are a great way to show people love. Uh, Miller, I want to come to, uh, there was a question I saw in the chat by Grayson does everything. And it says this, and I think it's a good objection to think about. Uh, so thank you for this, Grayson. He says, it's worrisome to me looking at scripture and seeing Christ do something miraculous, then thinking we can do the same. Seems like a far too elevated view of man. Uh, how would you respond to that? Uh, I, it is if it's not told to if we're not told to do that by the Lord himself I mean he he's the one who commissioned the disciples so like they hung out with him you know for the number of years that they were with him and then he sent them out to do the very same things and you know he said in, in mark 3 I called together those whom I wanted that I might be with them and then um, it says he gave them authority to heal the sick raise the dead cast out demons, cleanse the lepers. And, and then we're told that those disciples are, are supposed to go make disciples of their own, teaching you know, what Jesus commanded and teaching people to obey all those things. And so I, I think that the, the distinction I'd make is that this is actually what the Lord has called us to do. It's not me assuming that I'm something great when I look at what the Lord does and then try to follow it. If anything, we're actually told to follow his example. Yeah. Um, so I, I push back a little bit on, it. I, I get the, the, you know, to assume something great. It's not like I'm saying that I am the Lord. I'm just simply saying he knows how to do ministry better than I do. And I should follow his ways of doing ministry. Yeah. If anything, I, I would see that as a humble thing, not a braggadocious or overly selfishly ambitious thing. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would agree with you. I mean, you see Jesus like 
he doesn't come to just do the stuff. He comes to train his disciples to do the stuff. So that in Matthew 9, when the harvest is too much uh, for Jesus in his earthly body, like it, he multiplies himself. I mean, yes, Jesus in his deity, he could do whatever he wants. But in his humanity, he hungered, he thirsted. There were a certain number of people that he could pray for. And so he multiplies himself. And that's when he sends his disciples into the harvest. And it says he gave them authority sending them out to minister to the harassed and helpless sheep of Israel, which foreshadows Matthew 28 when Jesus gives them authority again. But this time he says, uh, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me by virtue of his death and resurrection and soon to be ascension. And then he sends them out not to Israel, but to the whole world to go out and not just preach the good news, but to make disciples. And so like you see Jesus, he's been pouring into these disciples from the very beginning and it, it, it's this ever-expanding thing. Luke does the same thing, but in a different way. He starts with Luke 9, where Jesus expands the miracle-working ministry to the 12, uh, the, the 12 apostles slash disciples. But then in Luke 10, he shifts to the 72, which 72 represented the number of nations. And so Jesus is actually trying to train them to do miracle ministry. So I, I say the greater sin would actually be us saying, uh, okay, well, Jesus is trying to get us to do that thing, but I'm not going to do that thing. I, I think we should try to do what Jesus says. And, and to even, just one more thing, to even take it out of the realm of miracles, Jesus did a lot of things we certainly should emulate. So he taught us you know, to wash the disciples. You know, He washed the disciples' feet, and he says, you guys do the same thing. A myriad of situations like that. So you know, it's WWJD. What would Jesus do? He would wash the feet. He would heal the sick. He would spend time with the poor. This is really just us trying to be, to be like Jesus. Yet at the same time, to your point, Grayson, we're never going to be perfectly like Jesus. Um, I mean, he, he is always going to be the unique son of God in a way that we never will be. That would be blasphemous. So, uh, so we want to hold that out there. And there are some things Jesus can do that we just can't do. Like, I mean, a gazillion things he can do that we can't do. Maybe it would be more accurate. Um, but he does invite us into miracle working ministry over and over and over again. So I would, I would agree with your point, Miller. What were you trying to say? Well, I was just thinking about the end result of these things. Like when you pray for the sick, you know, this idea that like, who do you think you are to go and just read what Jesus does and then go and do the exact same thing? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I just think of the irony in that. It's like, well, hold on. We're not supposed to just be hearers of the word, but doers. Like quite literally, we're supposed to be doers. And if anything, the most faithful thing we can do is believe what he told us to do and then do it. Um, but also I look at the results when I pray for a sick person, are they thinking that I'm the Messiah? No. Most often I say, I pray in the name of Jesus. And <laughs> not most often, every time I pray, it's it's in the name of Jesus. But when they're healed, they're not looking at me as though by my power something happened. They're, they're seeing that Jesus did this. It was the Lord Jesus. And so, again, it's still the same person doing it. He's just now doing it through us. We don't get, we don't get to claim any special privilege here or uh, rights because we can't do it. It's the Lord Jesus through us. All of the authority we have is not the authority of Christ. It's authority in Christ. So it's in him that all these things are done, and he gets all the credit for that. Um, the best we get, and, and the best credit we get is being faithful to do what we're told to do. Yeah. That's good. Miller, there's another question that I feel like we should address. And th this was asked in various ways kind of earlier in the chat. I wrote them down, but I can't remember who asked them. But basically, what, one of the questions was basically like, uh, you know, why do we see few, so few healings? I, I mean, it was basically kind of remarking on the New Testament healings and miracles seem to be instantaneous, seem to be drastic. You know, for us, we see like... I you know, someone thinks their headache felt a little bit better. And, uh, and kind of tethered to that question is a second question of just, uh, of just like, man, it, if you got to pray for a hundred people to see a healing, it seems like maybe God's just not doing that thing. But basically both of these are, are centered in this same assertion or the same kind of assumption, whatever you want to call it, that it just seems like God's not moving like that. 
So Miller, what would you say uh, to those who have a response like that? So um, I prayed for the sick for two years uh, and I prayed for exactly the kinds of things that this person is talking about. I would see like, you know, I pray for somebody's knee and they say, oh, the pain left. And I think, oh, cool. But there's no way to actually test it out or know for certain, you know, unless we get some sort of doctor's report and like a tendon that was torn is suddenly restored. Um, but, but I had this tendency to explain away every healing that I saw or when most often people would tell me they weren't healed, which would also affirm that <laughs> nothing was happening. And so I can understand the skepticism that we have when we get into this kind of ministry. However, I would also tell you that so much of what I was doing, when I look back on it, my disappointment in what I saw or didn't see has so much more to do with me uh, getting to see what I wanted to see. Um, I think the, the thing about this ministry is it has to be about just caring for the person in front of you and trusting in the sovereignty of God. And and that be it and and us be quite content with the results regardless like i said i I just mentioned somebody in my church who's been just constantly bombarded with sickness another major heart surgery and um you know deeply distraught but just wonderful wonderful person who i i deeply love and i'm going to love this person regardless of whether they get healed or not and so i think the goal has to change the goal isn't necessarily seeing the miracle the goal is loving people with the power of god to the best of our ability and when you're doing that, when you're loving people and that is your goal, then I think the results will be quite satisfying. And if anything, I, I do think you will find times of great power. Um, I think of the, the testimony from Carol Wimber that we just, uh, do you remember this, Michael? When she, she had asked John, is it always going to be like this? Do you remember that? How did uh, that go? Yeah. Yeah, but what go did, ahead. Tell the story. Well, I, I'm trying to remember exactly. Do you remember? Oh. <laughs> um, it put me on the spot for remembering. I, I, I would fumble over it too much to recount the story oh, really well. I know. I remember. I remember what she said. She said um, he, she asked John because they were seeing just extraordinary power, and she said, "Is it always going to be like this?" Oh, and yeah. he just said, yep. "Well, no, no. He he turns it off or turns it on for a reason and and pours out power, but every revival ends." And that's kind of, you know, just left in the mystery and sovereignty of God. Mm -hmm. uh, I love how honest he was about yeah. that, but how I get the grieving that Carol had in that as well. Yeah, no, totally. That that story touched me as well. I, I think there is a sovereignty. I mean, you see in like Psalm 74 where... Uh, the psalmist is complaining, like, we have no more prophets, we're not seeing the signs, you know, how long is this going to be? So he's reflecting that there was a, a season in history where it seemed like God had withdrawn. And, you know, when I look at the state of the American church, for, that's my church, okay, and probably most of our viewers are in Western nations, would be my guess, um, but the, the state of the church isn't that strong. You look at the early church, not, like the, the church not. in Acts— you know, they're devoting themselves to the four things, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. How, how many churches are actually doing all four of those things? So the, the apostles' teaching, we got all kinds of heresy flying around. Uh, lots of Christians just hardly ever read their Bibles, and lots of churches are really not preaching them, and we got a bunch of people preaching ear-tickling messages, okay? Uh, to the uh, apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, that's probably the one that we're, well, actually, we're not really even really that good at that because, you know, everybody's too busy. You know, it used to be you had Sunday morning church, Sunday night church, Wednesday night church. Now it's like the, the most committed members will be like an extra night a week, you know, but like it's just different. Everybody's too busy to have friends. Okay, so then the breaking of bread. I mean, evangelical churches hardly ever participate in communion. And, uh, you know, so that some of the like Anglicans, they're, they're going to be every weekers. But, um, but then prayer, the last one, prayer, how many, how many people, how many churches have midweek prayer meetings that are like more than the staff? So I'm just saying, and, and that's just the, the devotions that, by the way, Acts 2.42, those four core devotions lead to the, the miracles and the, uh, the salvations and everything that follows that passage ends with, uh, 
that that passage ends with the Lord added day by day to their number those who were being saved. So uh, the the point of that passage is that like, hey, if you get this core right, like this flows out of it. But then as Acts continues to go, you know, problems will arise, but they deal with their problems. There's unholiness that arises in the church with Ananias and Sapphira. Peter deals with it in a powerful way. But then that leads to more power. Acts chapter 6, another problem arises, racism or ethnocentrism at least in the church, and they deal with it in a powerful way. The outcome, many priests become obedient to the faith. I mean, I'm just kind of like walking through the book of Acts, but basically it's it's showing us what a healthy church looks like. They do the core things, and then they deal with the problems when they come up, and they're continually preaching the gospel. And I look at the church in the West and I say, a lot of us, I don't know, maybe most of us aren't really doing that stuff. So we're kind of like, God just come in and do your thing, but like he's, he's given us things to do too. And so I think there's like a sovereignty. And when I look through the Old Testament, when God withdrew and when, when there was less power, it was times of judgment in the land. That was true in Psalm 74. That was true in 1 Samuel 3, 1, when it says visions were rare in those days, there was judgment in the land and things were crazy. And I don't know, I look around and it's, it's kind of like that. And I think when you look at the third world church, and, you know, there's some talk about Heidi Baker when she comes to, say, like the United States, they'll, they'll see some healings. But, like, when she goes over there, they'll see 70%, 90% of deaf and blind healed in some villages, 100%. I mean, uh, it's insane what they've seen. And we did an interview with Josh and Candy Brown on this. And you can got, you guys can go look it up. And they, they literally went out and measured the number of deaf people that were healed. And they said it was, Mark, it was different in, in Mozambique. Why? Well, it's poor. They rely on, like, they have to have it, and they're, they're doing the stuff. They're doing, uh, they're doing the things God called us to do. And so I, I don't see that as much in the Western church. Miller, what about yeah. you? You have thoughts on what I just said? I mean, I, again, I just, I think the, the thing that I mentioned earlier, if you're going to, if you want to see the sick get healed, if you want to grow in, in healing, um, praying for the sick, pray for the sick. Pray for more people. Pray mm-hmm. for the poor. You know, where Heidi Baker went was the poorest place in Africa. She chose, she quite literally chose the poorest place in the world. Um, that's what she wanted to do. And, and, you know, God has honored that faithfulness. He cares for the poor. He cares for the oppressed. And I, I just think, um, I hate to say this, I, when I look at the American church, I don't see us as much as the oppressed, uh, more like the oppressor. I'd say in this, uh, but I, I, there's a, you know, when I, when I think about some of our foreign policy and the way we treat the world around us, I just think there's this great opportunity of power, but it's often squandered and we could do really well by taking Heidi's example, um, by going to poor places and, and praying for the sick there and loving them and, hmm. and trying to do as best as we can to, uh, share the good news. So. Miller, you, you sound like someone who's been preaching through the book of Deuteronomy or something. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so I know, I'm actually man. interested in that. So Miller, you uh, you have been preaching through Deuteronomy, which does right. place a major emphasis on caring for the widow, the orphan, the stranger, and so on. So do you want to talk about just how that has formed you, preaching through that book, specifically in regard to caring for weak and hurting people? Yeah. Well, and and Michael, I think you've kind of messed me up as well on this because you, you know, when you talk about uh, revelation and typology, when I've heard you talk about those things, it's caused me to pay close attention to those things when I read Deuteronomy, Um, specifically references to Babylon and how, you know, when you read through Deuteronomy, it's the series of Moses, uh, of sermons that Moses is giving the people of Israel right after they've just left a Babylon of sorts, Egypt you know, a type of Babylon. They were enslaved. They were oppressed. The Lord set them free. But then when he's making this great nation out of them, he keeps repeating over and over, I'm giving you this great land. You're going to drink uh, and, and eat, drink wine that you, uh, vineyards you didn't plant, eat food that, that you didn't grow. Um, there's going to be cattle. There's going to be this harvest there. And he goes, and when you get there, uh, don't be like the Egyptians. In other words, there's this sense when you have this great provision, you're so quickly and so apt to become comfortable and forget the oppressed and actually, in fact, become the oppressor. 
And this is the story of Israel. They were oppressed people. They came into a land that they did not deserve. God blessed them amazingly after delivering them. And then they became the oppressed over and over again. And you see Moses foreseeing all of this, saying over and over, in almost every chapter, don't forget the foreigner in the land. Don't forget the orphan. Don't forget the widow. And the widow wasn't just somebody whose husband uh, had died. It was you know, any woman who had been divorced and had to raise kids, any woman on her own. Um, because in that time and, and place, a, a woman couldn't quite fend for herself and provide for herself. She actually needed help. Um, I know that may sound very sexist today, but that is the way the ancient world thought of it. So I'm not just making this up. Um, but over and over again, that's repeated. It, and it, he keeps talking about all these great things that they're going to experience, but then keeps reminding them in almost every chapter, but don't forget this group of people. Yeah. And then um, the, the, when you watch the history play out and you see the oppressed become the oppressor, it, it really is kind of like it's got its own sense of divine irony and it's heartbreaking to see. And you see God quite literally in, in Jeremiah and other books uh, of the prophets with a rebuking the, the land and the people, heartbroken. You know, God says, hey, I thought she would return to me. You know, she went up on every hill and she played the harlot. And I thought like a, a husband who, who longs for his wife to return, I thought she would return to me, but she didn't. Not only that, her treacherous sister Judah went and did the same. And so you see God's heart just breaking over this group of people that he called his own, that he gave him, gave them his name and, uh, and he rescued them. And then they become the exact opposite. It's just so, and again, it, it displays the need for a Messiah, the, the fact that we can't save ourselves. And if anything left to our own devices, we will become the oppressor yeah. when we have power. That's interesting. Well, I'm getting getting a little closer to finishing that Re revelation book right a little bit each morning i'm i know i'm funny that i i'm writing right now i'm on revelation 18 and it's about the fall of babylon which the story of babylon's oh, wow. fall is told in 16 17 and 18 and into 19 but 18 to 19 is like the most detail and it especially focuses on a massive eschatological economic crash I never hear anyone talk about that, but her economic sin, she is roundly rebuked for. So anyway, so I'm kind of writing about that right now. So that's on my mind. Well, hey, it's, uh, let's tie this up. It's about one hour. Uh, maybe we can put a bow on this and, and maybe share a few closing thoughts. I'll, I'll say mine and Miller, you can say yours. But uh, I think for me, I would say just the biggest thing is view healing as love. And, and honestly, don't even worry too much about like, do I have the gift of healing? Do I not have the gift of healing? Because what happens is it's, it's just like what you see with personality tests. I think sometimes people take those and they pigeonhole themselves of like, well, this is what I am and I can be no other. And it's just really not, not that way. And I think with healing, like, yes, I think there will be some people with gifts of healings, but we can all pray for the sick. And it's actually a really loving thing to do. And I found that when I pray for the sick, even if they're not healed, I was just meeting with somebody today, uh, somebody today who lost her, uh, lost her husband to cancer. And I, I had prayed for that husband. It was a very sad situation. And, uh, and yet she was overwhelmingly grateful that I had prayed for her husband. And, uh, and that was apparently like a marked moment for her. She brought it up, uh, and, and expressed that. So, I just have found, like like you said, Miller, I, I'm really blessed by the way you talk about that, that it's just, listen, this is just a time to love people. It is a chance and a way to love people. And it's really awesome when God moves in power and he heals the person. And you know, Michael and I have experienced that when praying for people. Uh, we've experienced that in our own bodies. And, and it's powerful and it's beautiful. And we do long for the day when we see God do more of it. And we're in pursuit of that. But in the meantime, uh, it's up to God whether or not that person's going to get healed. I just want to do my part and love people by praying for them. I think that would be my closing thought. How about you, Miller? Yeah, I think if, if, uh, if the faith in this journey that we have is to become like Christ, and this is a universal thing for all who are called according to this purpose, right, that we be conformed to the image of Christ, um, one of the ways that that happens is by spending time with broken people and praying for them. Praying for the sick, healing the sick, whether they get healed or not, 
is a sanctifying work that makes you more like Christ. You will find as an absolute truth, I, I believe this wholeheartedly, that when you pray for the sick regularly, you will grow in love. You will grow in compassion. You will mm-hmm. grow in Christ-likeness. And so go and be doers of the word. Absolutely. Well, guys, thanks again so much for joining us. And uh, just to circle back what we said at the beginning, I can see a lot of you guys liking this show. Go ahead and hit that like button if you haven't already. Subscribe for us and check out remnantconferences.com. It's already booked up, so you'll need to do it pretty quickly. And uh, we're going to have a fabulous time talking about prophecy, hearing God, and just about everything related to it. So uh, go ahead and check out that website. Come out to OKC. I'd love to shake your hand. And, uh, and so it's going to be awesome. Uh, other than that, we get, we'll see you next week. We're here every Monday and Wednesday, and sometimes we throw in a little Tuesday show there too. Uh, but guys, thanks so much again, and uh, have a great week. want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek in Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.